team, and it goes like this. It's one of those prompts that they ask uh, like a third grader or fourth grader. And so the prompt the teacher asked was, tell uh, us something about adults that you find confusing. So something that you could probably ask adults that question too, right? But something, tell us something about adults that you find confusing. And so the, the kid wrote, I think it's confusing when one adult asks another adult how they're doing, and that adult says they're good even though they're not good, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? You're like, how you doing? Good, good. How you doing? Good, good, good. We're all good. You know? you know, I'm guilty of that. I do that a lot, and I hate that I'm guilty of that um, because I don't like it when people do it to me. You know, I, I'd like an honest answer if I'm going to ask you a question, and I think you should expect that of me as well. Um, and, and I struggle with it because I feel hypocritical about it when I do it. Uh, and I just, I'm like, well, why can't I just be real? Like, why can't I just be real and authentic and, and share what I'm actually feeling in that moment? And I think part of it for me, maybe part of it for you as well, is that we're afraid sometimes to show our authentic side, to, sh to say how we're really feeling, how we're really doing, because maybe no one's going to love the real me. No one wants to carry my baggage with me. Maybe no one wants to hear what's going on. Maybe they're just asking to be nice. And we struggle with that. So we hide behind words like good and fine instead of being real and authentic with one another. So it's a new month, church. It's February, which means we're going to reveal a new word this month. We have uh, 12 months, 12 words. Last week's word was, or last month's word was investment. And this month's word is authenticity authenticity, being authentic with one another. I don't have the actual board, but we'll hang it up there in the, in the mural out in the fellowship area. Authenticity, authentic community. What does authentic community look like? What can it be? Well, let's start with the definition first. Authenticity, the quality of being authentic. Thank you. Let's try a better definition. <laughs> uh, authentic, not false or copied, genuine or real. So authenticity is the quality of being genuine and real. That an authentic community, life together, we are genuine and real with one another. That we share our burdens, that we walk with one another. The true marker of being in life together with each other is if we're authentic with each other, not hiding behind masks or simple phrases or whatever, that we can be a real community with one another. And for me, authenticity is the most powerful of the 12 words. It's the one that I connect with the most, the one, the one that's most meaningful for me is authenticity. Authenticity involves joyful moments. We can have joyful moments with each other and laugh and celebrate good things. It involves disagreements. Authenticity means we won't always agree on everything. We'll have conversations with one another and we won't find a solution. It, finds, it involves difficult conversations. It involves celebrating life with one another, the good things that happen in our lives. And the church should be authentic in who we are. Not just a group of people who gather, get fed, and move on as a number in a crowd. We shouldn't be striving for that. We should be striving to be together and talk about things, real things, about sharing life together, wrestling with things, growing together, disagreeing, making mistakes. I love making mistakes. You know, I've come a long way from that. I didn't used to like making mistakes. I liked, I liked being right about everything and getting a pat on the back. You know, how many of you like that? I liked being right, made the right decision, great job, love affirmation. Who doesn't love affirmation? But now it's like, okay, maybe I found out if I, if I just did everything right, maybe I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't trying different things, new things, unexpected things, making mistakes along the way and learning from each other. That's part of authenticity as well. I'm going to need the leadership team to lock the doors because I see the fear in people's eyes already about <laughs> making mistakes, right? No, don't worry. It's okay. Um, but seriously, there's enough fake in the world. We don't need another TikTok filter for life in church that makes church look pretty. We need the clear eyes to see each other authentically, 
to be found faithful to God and to each other in how we live with one another. So I want to offer us a couple questions to consider for authenticity, or three questions. We'll send them out tomorrow too, but if you want to just take a look at them. First question is this, what do you imagine authentic community looks like at Riverside? What would it look like if we were authentic with one another? Or are we authentic? Or how can we be more authentic? Do you have someone that authentically speaks into your life? Is there someone, a friend, a family member, someone you've known that, you know, they can go to and say, they call you out and say, hey, I see you doing that. That's nonsense. Stop doing that. And what do you hope to learn about life together and authenticity this month? I'm going to take just two minutes here of silence. Um, Reflect on these questions, then I'll pray. Just two minutes. Gracious God, my prayer for us this month is that we would learn about authenticity, about what what it takes to be authentic with one another, what it looks like to be an authentic community, to share burdens with one another, to be truthful, to lovingly walk alongside each other. I pray, Lord, for each person at our church family here that we would find a space for authenticity with one another. If we have someone that speaks authentically in our lives, that we would develop that relationship even more. And if we don't, we would pursue that and help us, lead us to people to be authentic with, whether that be in small groups or on Sunday mornings or any other community, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for this month as we look at different passages around authenticity and authentic life together in the church community and church family, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit what you want us to know about living together in this corner, in this community, what that looks like for us moving forward this year and beyond. For those who might be nervous or scared, Lord, I pray that you would give them your spirit of peace, where authenticity has not been some of the language that, that they've used, Lord. May you open us up to new language and a new hope that we find in you. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So with that, let's jump into a passage about authentic community from our scripture. Mike already read it earlier. There's, it's a lot of rich, uh, rich sections to that. So I want him to read it. I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit. Um, and it's one of these passages where it's been interpreted historically two different ways. Uh, one way to interpret it is those who have read this passage about living differently from the world have said, we're going to literally live differently from the world. We're going to just go up out of here. We're going to go somewhere else. We're going to hide in caves. We're going to spend time there as a monastic community and focus on personal holiness with God. And uh, uh, Monday on Odyssey, we actually talked about a dude, Anthony of the Desert. This dude lived for 105 years, and he spent 85 years in solitary with God. 85 of his 105 years alone with God. Can you imagine 85 of 105 years alone with God? What an unbelievable uh, testimony. Oh, and if you think, hey, I could do that and read, he was illiterate. So he spent all this time praying and speaking to God for most of his life. Truly unbelievable. So there's one community and one interpretation. I'm not going to take it that way. I'm going to take it a different way. The other way that this has been approached is that Paul is calling us to be separate from this continual worldly pursuits of wealth, comfort, idolatry, and personal gain. 
and instead to live in the world in a completely transformative way that Christ has called us to. That we are transformed by Christ, and because we are transformed, we enter in and be a transformative presence. Let's take a look at what that looks like with life together with each other. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Mike read from the NLT. I'm going to read again from the NLT if you want to follow along. See if some new word or idea catches you this time that you didn't catch the last time. Since you've been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits on the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now it's time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for one another's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, through God the Father. So verses 1 through 4, he begins with this truth that he bases everything else off of. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Everything he's about to say starts here. That Christ has died, he was raised from the dead, he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, he's conquered sin through the resurrection, and because of this reality, he tells us, I want you to see the world through a heavenly lens, through a different way. That doesn't mean don't be worried about the things of earth. It means when you think about the things of earth, think about them through the lens of Christ's death and resurrection. You have a new lens that allows you to see the events of this world through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's coming to make all things new. So don't live as a people without hope, being, despair, being in despair by the things that you see. Our favorite movie as a family is National Treasure. I think it's one of our favorites, I should say. We like that one. It's cheesy. It's corny. It's a popcorn movie. You throw the popcorn in, you watch it mindlessly. It's a lot of fun. If you haven't seen it, Five-second summary. It's a movie about an elaborate treasure based on a hidden map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. And it only gets more crazy from there, right? I mean, that's, that's like the least crazy thing in the movie, actually. Um, so if you've seen this movie, there's a scene here where the main character, he's got these glasses, he finds them, and there's different lenses on them, and he's moving the lenses. And as he moves one lens, he sees one thing. He moves another lens, he sees another thing, and so on and so on. 
And so depending on what lens he sees through, it affects how he sees. It affects how he sees this map on the back or whatever on the back of the, the declaration. So we've been raised to life in Christ. We have been given a new lens to see, a new lens to see this world. Where others may see hopelessness and despair, we cling to and preach a better hope. Where others see dead ends and broken alleys, we say, no, there's a transformation available. You can be transformed from your pain, your addiction. It might look hopeless, but we have a hope in Jesus. So Paul says, you've got this new lens. Be heavenly minded when you see this world. See the world through the truth of Christ's death and resurrection, that he rules and reigns, that he's coming back, he's returning to make all things new, that we are not lost without hope. We have a hope in the Jesus that is to come. And so he says, put to death, therefore, that old way. And in verses 5 through 9, he lists a whole bunch of ways that the old way worked. And I'm going to call it the economy of the old life. The economy of the old life. In the old life, you participated in sexual immorality, impurity, lust, lust for people and lust for things, possessions, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, lying to each other. It's not an exhaustive list. It's just a list. But it's twofold. It's got two purposes. First, of course, he says, stop doing those things. Stop doing those things because they hurt your relationship with God and they hurt your relationship with others. Personal holiness is a marker of transformation in the kingdom of God, that we might be holy as God is holy. But second, he says, this list, these things, this is how the world operates. This is their economy. Let me give you an example. Lust, the lust of things. And I've shared this example before. All of us, maybe, well, I shouldn't say all of us. A lot of us probably have, and I'll speak for myself, a perfectly good functioning iPhone, right? We got one in a nice bright color. And what does Apple do in September every year? They come out with a brand new iPhone. But it's a new color. But the inside's exactly the same. But it's a new color. But, you know, it's the same phone, but it's a new color. And then they say, hey, you got to get this phone, man. It's, you got to get it. It's yours. Come get it. And I start thinking, man, my phone's no good. Actually, I need a new phone, right? Even though my phone was perfectly good three hours ago before they had their event, suddenly I start lusting for this. Like, oh, man, I need this. I need this thing, right? And maybe it's not a phone for you. Maybe it's clothing. Maybe it's something else, whatever it might be. They create a system and say, hey, work hard, get a better job. Then work hard at that job, get a better job. Get more money. Spend that money. Do this. Do that. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with improving your job and your life. But the point is, those things cannot save you. Those things cannot add inherent value to your life. So Paul says, stop living in that way, that old way. Why do you still rely on that? Get out of that economy. Get to a new economy, a new way of living that pursues better things. And he gives us another picture here of what that looks like, verse 9 and 10. You've stripped off your old sinful nature and let all its wicked deeds put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like him. Take off the old and put on the new. This always, I always get the image here of a, like a huge snowfall like we had, was that last week, a couple weeks ago? And your kids say they want to go outside and go sledding, right? And so what do you do? You got to put on the underwear, and you put on the long johns, and you put on the pants, and then the socks, then the shirt, and then another shirt, and then you zip it up, and then the jacket. And then what happens? They have to pee, right? So then you take it all off, right? You take this off, and you do all that. And it, even though you told them to pee, they, you know, so... This taking on and taking off all these layers. He said you were layered with this old way of living. The old economy of the world. Take it off. That's not how you're to live anymore. Put on the new way. There's a new way to live now. Strip off the old and put on this new way of life. And this last part is so crucial. 
that you will learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Know your Creator and become like Him. One commentator said it really powerfully and really simply. The goal is to be like God, and that is accomplished by being like Christ. The goal is to be like God, and that's being, that is accomplished by being like Christ. Yes, I just said that, and no, it's not heresy. Now, you're not going to become a God, right? That's not what we're saying here. But you can become like God. You can share in some of his attributes. You know, he has some attributes that we absolutely cannot share. We cannot be all places at all times. We cannot be all-powerful. We cannot be all-knowing as great as that would be to be all-knowing. We cannot do that. But there are certain characteristics of God that we absolutely can grow into and learn and become. We can learn to love as God loves. We can learn to have empathy as God has empathy. We can learn to be patient as God is patient. We can learn to forgive as God forgives. And he says, when you put on this new way of living, you can learn to know your Creator and start becoming like Him. Becoming like Him. And he's going to talk about what to put on in a moment. But before that, I want to look at verse 11 because it's, it kind of hinges this whole passage. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Now, if you look at this passage at face value, just kind of reading it out of context, it sounds like what Paul is saying is it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, your social status, your gender, your education, throw them all out. What matters is that we are all in Christ. And that's a really romantic sentiment, but I don't think that's correct. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. And if you take that and take it to the extreme, it just kind of washes everybody out. It makes a certain group of people the gatekeepers of Christianity and say this is what Christianity has to be like and look like all the time. Now certainly, Christ's death and resurrection is central to the faith and belief in the Holy Spirit and all these things. But our differences are valuable. And they're important to our identity. For example, I'm an Armenian from Iran. I got Eugel here. He's Turkish. We got Fu. You're Vietnamese, right? Yes, thank you. Okay, good. We got people from Jamaica, from Southeast Asia, from Europe and Asia, all over this world. And I don't want to lose my identity any more than I want anybody else to lose their identity. I think my culture can help me think about Christ in a way that others can't and vice versa. So we support each other in that. God made us different, looking different, sounding different. So we have to reject that other interpretation. So what is Paul saying? What Paul is saying, he's speaking to some cultural markers of the time where people would create hierarchies where one person was valued above another person simply because of who they were. A Jew was better than a Gentile because, well, they're a Jew. They're better than a Gentile. A man was better than a woman, well, because they're a man. A free man was better than a slave. Barbaric, better than uncivilized, so on and so forth. All these hierarchies, ethnic hierarchies, gender hierarchies. And all these systems were created so you knew where you stood. Oh, I'm below this person, I'm above this person. That was how the world operated. And we sadly still do that today. Or we see it in places today. At the heart of racism is the idea that one person is inherently better than another person and should get better things because of it. We do this in relation to the poor. Many will give a rich man long hours to talk, but you won't give the time of day to a poor man. And Paul is saying we need to strip off that old way of thinking. That's the old way. Don't think that you're better than anyone else. Don't create hierarchies in the kingdom of God, in the system of church, in the culture of church. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. You're not inherently better than a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised. You're not inherently better than an uncircumcised person. 
And notice he doesn't flip it either. He doesn't say, oh, actually, the Gentile is better than the Jew. No, he's rejecting all hierarchy. He's saying, no, 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 no. We are one in Christ. Your identity that you have, yes, but also Christ is in you. Well, he rejects all hierarchies but one. This is the one that he keeps. Christ is the head and we are the body. Christ is the head and we are the body. We are the body of Christ, knit together in all our differences. And in the old way, we used to say, I'm better than this or I'm better than this or that. But now we have a new way to live. And Christ is our head. And we belong to one another and we belong to Christ. And each of us different and unique and valuable and gifted and called are a body working together for the glory of God. So he says, with this core principle now, here, because that is true, because Christ is our head, because we are equals in this body, here is how you are to relate to one another. Clothe each other with tender-hearted mercy. Be kind to one another. Be humble. Be gentle with one another. Be patient. Make allowance for each other's faults. I, when I took driver's ed, I remember my driver's ed teacher always told me, hey, give allowance to the person in front of you because you never know what they're going to do, right? They might swerve this way. They might swerve that way. They might slam on their brakes. And hopefully we heed those lessons, young drivers out there, right? Give allowance to the person in front of you. Give allowance to the people in your life because we make mistakes. We mess up. We struggle. Give allowance to your spouse. Give allowance to your children. Give allowance to one another, your neighbor, who may cut your grass a little too close to your side and not the way you liked it, who might have busted up your fence, who might have done whatever. Give allowance to one another. That's a sign of being in the kingdom. Forgive those who offend you. Why? Because the Lord forgave you. He graciously forgave you. Clothe yourself with the love that binds us together, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And there's that Jewish idea again of shalom, peace. Peace, everything as it should be, everything in the right order. A body should be at peace with itself. It should be ordered properly with one another. I grew up watching some British comedy. I bet Tom did too over here, right? Uh, so Monty Python was big. I'm in my house. So I remember lots of great ske uh, sketches. The Ministry of Silly Walks, of course, is a great one. And uh, if, this is just, this is like the easiest one he does. He does all sorts of weird ones with his legs like this. And Ben's, if I tried it, I'd be in the hospital immediately. Like it's, I can, as I tell my kids, I can do anything one time. And then the ambulance has to come and get me. And then that's it. Um, but, you know, this body that's kind of walking weird and out of order and displaced in this way, uh, this is kind of an image of a body that doesn't work together, that's not at shalom. You can't move in this way, or at least you shouldn't. A disordered, misordered body cannot function. They cannot live into Christ as the head of the body. And we're called to pursue shalom with each other. And that shalom looks like making allowance and forgiveness and mercy and kindness with one another. Just as Christ has shown us. Christ is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't himself done and shown to us. So I'm going to leave two verses alone, verses 16 and 17. We're going to come back to them next week. We're going to tie next week into this week uh, as we move forward. But today I just want to focus on this, authenticity and life together. When we take off the old life and we put on the new, we're taking off the fake and we're putting on the authentic. That we might be found authentic with one another. And Paul paints a picture of that authentic life in all those words that he says there. Authentic relationship is often found around a table. We have a sign in our house uh, that says, uh, I, I can't imagine life without a table between us. Right? It means, hey, let's have a meal together. Let's share together with one another. And Paul paints a picture of that at a table. And Christ paints a picture of that at his table. 
At this table, there is no hierarchy. There is no fake. There is no worldliness. This is where the authentic God in Jesus gave himself to us. The bread is his body. The drink is his blood. This table is where we receive life-giving food. And the Apostle Paul, as we come to the table this morning, reminds us we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and reveal any unconfessed sin. So in preparation of taking communion, I ask you to take a few moments of silence. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your hearts uh, and confess any sin that you need right now. As you do that, uh, some of the parents, you've got to note the kids are going to be coming up for communion, so they're going to be coming in in a minute and finding you to sit with you for communion. <laughs> 